You're listening to Mental Work. I'm your host, Bronwyn, an early career psychologist based in Australia. And this is the podcast taking a closer look at the challenges faced by early career mental health professionals so they don't have to go it alone. Hey, mental workers. So far on the podcast, I've been focusing on these very like micro issues. I've been talking about how we can help ourselves, how we can cope better in this field of work and help ourselves get by in the future rather than kind of struggling and sinking underneath the surface. Today, we're going to take a macro approach. We're going to look at what happens when the systems outside of us make work life really hard and what are the things that we can actually do and what are professional bodies actually doing. I'm really excited then to have Sarah O'Doherty here with us on the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Bron. And Sarah, tell us why I'm talking to you. So I've already had the privilege of speaking to you a little bit about political identity and how to cultivate political identity. And I guess part of my own political identity is I am now one of the directors on the board of the Australian Association of Psychologists Incorporated, so the AAPI, and we are a membership professional body uh, for psychologists in Australia. So thanks for having me back. No worries. My pleasure. And I'm really excited because Sarah and I will be touching on what are some of the top issues facing psychologists in our work? So what is happening around that? What are the issues that are the current focus of advocacy for AAPI and what's actually being done and what you can do to actually get involved? I think as psychologists, sometimes we can feel a bit of helplessness around these issues. They just seem so much bigger. And actually having a professional organization who advocates for us and is trying to look out for us, it makes me feel better at least. Does it make you feel better, Sarah? It 100% makes me feel better. Because <laughs> I, I think that there is there is this idea, particularly with psychologists in private practice, we are so isolated. We work alone. We're one-on-one with clients most of the day, most days a week. And it's so easy to become disconnected, not just from other professionals, but from what the profession looks like on a broader scale. So yeah, happy to get into it. Preach. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> totally so <laughs> isolated, so disconnected. So yeah, it makes me feel good kind of being connected, but also knowing that I guess not gaslighting myself and being like, oh, it's all in my head. It's like, no, actually these are real issues that are affecting my work and my career and those of my colleagues around me. So yes. Sarah, I would love to hear just, you know, just a small question to begin with. What are the top issues facing psychologists in the workforce? Oh my God, so many. So let's let's start with, first of all, um, the fact that there are so many systems that we as psychologists have to work within that are constantly evolving and at the same time, they don't necessarily have our, as psychologists, best interests at heart. And, you know, we have to get around and do our business using systems like Medicare and NDIS and having external funding bodies uh, pay or part pay for services. So clients can claim a rebate, for instance. Um, but that system is just so fraught with historical inequality that I'm going to really dig into the two-tier Medicare issue here. 
it is so difficult for us to be able to make a living wage. It is almost impossible if we were to bulk bill, it is impossible for us to be able to pay ourselves appropriately if we are, for instance, offering, what is it called, FPS, focused psychological support under, yeah, under, under Medicare. If we were going to be bulk billing our clients, it's just, it's just not possible to be able to sustainably provide ourselves with self-care and run a business. Absolutely. So let me set the scene and and I feel like you've got done a good scene setting as well. But I guess like as an early career psych, I worked in a community setting, counseling sessions were all free. And then I went into private practice and I actually had a few clients who I carried over from the community setting to the private practice that I was still bulk billing. And when I sat down and did my finances to private practice, I realized that if I continued to bulk bill everyone, I would be earning about $18,000 for the year. Sounds about right. That made me feel very sad. Uh, (laughs) 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 And so I guess like it's really the Medicare system and we're talking about the, the better access program, right? Correct. Yes. And that was built, I guess, to create better access for people in our community to access psychological help. But what I'm hearing is that the consequence has meant that I guess some psychologists are more unable to create a livable wage if they see primarily Medicare clients. Is that right? That's right. And so just to kind of give a bit of a background to this. So the better access to mental health services, so the mental health care plans and access to psychologists started around 2009 or so about 2008 to 2010. And that system was built on seeing psychologists as a secondary service. So we have never really been seen as primary care, primary mental health care for our clients that we serve. So there's always been the need since that time for a GP to provide a referral to say that the client is eligible for services and allocate the number of sessions that the GP believes is however many sessions that they need up until a limit. So initially, I believe it was something like 18 sessions, then it was reduced to 12 sessions per calendar year, and then it was reduced to 10 sessions per calendar year. And now we're at 20 because of the pandemic and everyone is really crossing their fingers and hoping that the current government is going to extend that to after the end of the year when it's due to expire. So when this system first sort of came about, there was quite a lot of lobbying from particular factions within psychology to only allow Medicare rebates to those with a particular degree and qualifications. And what ended up happening was a lot of lobbying, a lot of infighting within our profession, which had resulted at the time in what we now know as the two-tier Medicare system where a particular group of psychologists are eligible to provide um, a particular rebate, so a much higher rebate, there's about a $40 difference per session to their clients. And the rest of the registered psychologists throughout Australia, which I think we make up about 65% of the profession, we're only able to provide uh, a Medicare rebate of, I think it's currently about $89. So there's quite a discrepancy between the amount of money that the government allows for clients of some psychologists rather than clients of the rest of the profession. Okay. 
maybe I'll come at it from the client perspective first. How does that affect our clients? And then how does that affect us? So for our clients, what we find is they firstly have to uh, choose between different kinds of psychologists and where they feel as though they might be able to get a better rebate. But in real terms, what we find is that the psychologists who are able to provide that higher rebate are then, of course, inflating their costs so that there is quite a bit more out-of-pocket cost for the client. And in fact, it might be the same out-of-pocket cost if the client chose to see any registered psychologist compared to a clinical psychologist with clinical endorsement. So there is... In real terms, not a lot of difference between necessarily the out-of-pocket costs for the client. They're actually not getting a better deal by seeing a psychologist who is able to provide that higher rebate. Yeah. Um, and what that means for um, the rest of us really is we tend to keep our costs affordable we're not able to provide as much of a rebate for the clients and they might be getting the same. In fact, we would argue that they're getting the same um, or similar services to any other psychologist that they might be seeing. Mm. So if our clients are getting essentially the same rebate, I guess like the intention perhaps was that they would get the better access. So they would be able access, meaning like you'd have more financial capacity to access your psychologist, but actually in reality, because of market forces, it sounds like it's like they're actually getting the same rebate. So generally speaking with psychologists in private practice, because we can't afford to have a sustainable business, if we are bulk billing, we tend to charge some sort of out-of-pocket fee just to cover that bit of cost so that we're able to run a, a sustainable service. And the client's out-of-pocket costs would be probably roughly the same. And in fact, there are many psychologists who charge quite a lot more out-of-pocket. The rebate really is only a portion of the fee to see a particular psychologist. So the bit that would be, in my view, the unfair bit is how much more out of pocket is that client spending when they're seeing, let's say, two psychologists, both really experienced, both really qualified, both have the same fee for their services, but the rebate for one is $40 more than the rebate for the other. So that in itself just seems like the client's getting the raw deal. Yeah, it does. And then so there's, I guess, the raw deal for the client. And then as psychologists, like you're right, we actually do need to have sustainable businesses. That's how we serve people in our community. That's how we actually help people. So sometimes I hear people being like, well, if you shouldn't have got into this job for the money, but it's like money is how we help people. Um, we need actually to have businesses so we can keep on serving people. So if we, if it does our clients a disservice, how does it actually do us a disservice and in turn the community disservice? So it puts generally a cap on how much we're able to provide low fee services for clients. So for instance, in my private practice, we had to stop bulk billing, um, but we do take on quite a number of low fee clients. Um, for instance, if they have a pensioner concession card or other forms of concession cards, we'll happily take them on at reduced fees. And what that means is, 
they might have actually gone and asked a bunch of other psychologists in our local area and the, the psychologists have actually turned them away because they do not offer low fee services. So it puts the client in often a really vulnerable state already it can put them into even more distress. And then what that does is we then feel pressure practices like mine and other practices around about the place. It puts us into a situation where we then have to reduce our fees for these particular clients. So what we're aiming for with the AAPI is we're hoping to, and we are advocating for this at the moment to increase the Medicare rebate across the board for all psychologists, for any client who sees any psychologist to be able to get a Medicare rebate of $150 per session. And that would mean that I would be able to go back to bulk billing. I know that a lot of people would be able to go back yeah, to I bulk would. billing. Exactly. And so if that meant we would be able to serve the community just that little bit more, and we were still able to, for instance, charge a higher private fee for those who were able to, um, we would be able to have a much more uh, flourishing business, I think, and a much more stable business to then be able to serve our communities. I mean, it sounds like a win-win for me. Honestly, this is the reason why we're pushing for it. You know, I like, I'm convinced. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> so like with, with this then, with AIPA's advocacy for the 150 rebate, has it come across like any backlash? Like are there like people who don't like this idea? I mean, to be honest, there probably are. Um, we get actually quite a lot of really positive feedback. And in fact, we've had recent interactions with the Victorian state government and the Victorian opposition government or the Victorian opposition um, who are in agreement to this idea of raising the rebate. And we're getting state-by-state state advocacy put onto the federal government to hopefully review this. So we are definitely lobbying for this at all political levels. Um, and again, we've had really great feedback and, and a lot of people are, I think, really encouraging of this because, I mean, if the last two and a half, three years has taught us anything, it's that mental health care is a primary service. Absolutely. We should be, we should be advocating to have more people be able to access it better yes for better access yeah <laughs> absolutely so there's a there's a need in the community for this I would also argue there's a need among psychologists so I mean just to kind of bring like my early career perspective into this when I I guess like enter the field after finishing my training I, I think I had like really high hopes for the psychology profession I was like we'll all help each other we're super nice to each other we're all connected and just really vibing on the same wavelengths of wanting better health and mental health well-being for our community and every individual and, and so then how jaded into, were you <laughs> yeah so jaded <laughs> and then I just walk into this like trash fight where we're just like flinging shit at each other and just like it's pretty tragic I've got to yeah say. talking each other down and for somebody like me I love I love community I love teams I love working together it's just like yeah I just felt like you know the tears on my face I'm just like god this is so disheartening it and is so when I hear like the AAPI I'm like oh thank god you know there actually be an end to this infighting which I didn't ask for and I didn't want to walk into this profession entering and I'm sick of it and I'm only two years in I 100% agree with everything that you've just said and look <laughs> the, one of the things that I think 
has been one of the long-term detrimental consequences of getting Medicare-funded psychology services is this infighting, is this idea of factions within our profession feeling as though they might deserve or are entitled to a particular um, status or monetary value over the, the rest of the psychology community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it, it, it saddens me because I think that there is so much diversity. There used to be so much diversity in our profession and everyone's areas of interests were celebrated and we were asked to collaborate and to, you know, help each other out and build those senses of community. And it seems to have fractured and just segmented the whole profession. And the worst part is, I think, is that clients and other people outside of psychology aren't really aware of any of this. No. So there seems to be quite a lot of confusion and misinformation that exists in the public or in mainstream media or social media where there is this idea of particular labels being quote unquote better than something else. And in reality, you know, a a client doesn't know often the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist or a psychologist and a counselor, or what even does a mental health social worker do, right? So this idea of labeling and what it actually means on a client level or an Australian population level, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's meaningless. So it's meaningless to our clients, but just causing huge fractures within our profession. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I guess like for early career psychs, like, I don't know how the rest of us feel, but I hate it. Yeah. I just wish, I just wish we could all be friends. It would be lovely. It would be lovely. And you know what? I've learned so much from so many different colleagues. And I think that when we start to approach each other with that sense of respect and humility and know that, you know what, I don't know everything. I'm not the expert in everything. I don't have to be the expert in everything. Then it becomes more of of a community feel, I think. So that's what at the API, that's what we're aiming for. Oh, well, I hope it happens. I hope it happens soon. I feel like, you know, changes in the wind. And then I feel like early career psychs wouldn't feel so pressured to get towards the clinical degree as well without considering other things that might be of actual more interest to them and more benefit to their clients. And this is, I think, another really awful consequence of the two-tier Medicare system is at the same time when Medicare came in, the whole university sector, postgrad psychology sector was decimated. You know, there's only one community psychology program left in Australia. I think there are about two or three of um, sports psychology. Um, everything else has been reduced to nothing except for the master's in clinical psychology, which I find so disheartening. I do too. And it's something that I've wrestled with myself because I was like, oh, should I do the clinical? And yes, I've talked about this on an earlier episode where I talked about whether you need more qualifications. And in the end- Loved that episode, by the way. Yeah, thank you. And in the end, actually, I'm doing a graduate diploma in sexology, started this semester. Amazing. Yeah, and I had to wrestle with that though because I was like, oh, it's not going to lead me to get the higher rebate for my clients. I'm not going to be a clinical psych. 
but I was like, you know, I have such a great interest in sexology and like sexual health. And I think this will actually help me and my clients. And I've even looked into like family therapy as like doing a certificate in that. And I'm like, this will really help. But it does come, there's always that second voice being like, oh, maybe you should just do the clinical. And I think that this is where a lot of us, particularly in our early careers, get stuck. We are funneled into this one particular program, which we see as being the best. And you see so much chatter about it on the psych forums online and the provisional psych forums online about, you know, if I don't get into clinical masters, then, you know, I'm going to have to go for five plus one. And it just seems to be, again, that sort of ranking system of, of one versus another, where I believe it used to be when, if I'm interested in a particular area, then that's the area of professional development that I'm going to go into. Um, for instance, I never, I never wanted to go into clinical masters back in the day, which was because when I was doing my undergraduate and my honors and I ended up doing four plus two, which I loved and was more akin to, to community psychology. Yeah. Um, we were told at university that clinical psychology was specifically for those who wanted to work in acute mental health care or hospital settings. Yeah. And I had no interest in working in a hospital. I never wanted to work in acute mental health. So I was like, oh, look, that's just not for me. Yeah. And I ended up working in community settings and loved it. Yeah. And that's what I had always thought as well. I was like, are the ClinSacs working in the hospitals? Like, isn't that a, isn't that the whole thing? Um, but apparently not <laughs> these days. That's yeah. it. So everything, everything seems to have changed with us being sort of funneled into a particular stream, which I just think has really eroded the diversity and the knowledge bases in our profession, unfortunately. Yeah, that is really sad. So I'm very hopeful once again for AAPI's advocacy around this, and I'm looking forward to more states getting on board. Sarah, I do want to talk about something else to that's an an issue facing early career psychs and I guess psychologists more broadly, but I'm really interested to hear about this supervision and mentorship program that AAPI is working on a development. And I guess the issue here, um, from my perspective, from what I've seen of the early career workforce is it can be bloody hard to actually find a supervisor who is available, who meets Mm. your needs, has the expertise in your area and actually can guide you in a way that is helpful for you. So Mm. I believe AAPI has pitched this up and is doing something around it. Tell us. So we at AAPI have built some really strong partnerships. So we don't yet have an internal mentoring program that is hopefully going to be in the works. Nice. But because one of the things that's really important to AAPI is psychologists, particularly early career psychologists in rural and regional and remote areas, we've partnered with um, JCU, so James Cook University in Queensland, to get more supervisors who are willing to supervise provisionals in rural and remote areas, regional areas. So when we get lots and lots of supervisors through that program, part of us going, and I'm one of the people who are enrolled in that at the moment, we're then paired with a supervisee from a regional rural area where they otherwise might not have gotten adequate supervision and they might not be able to work in those locations without having that adequate supervision. So what we really want to be doing is bolstering the early career and then long-term workforces 
of psychologists in regional areas so that we can actually have a um, sustainable profession in, in locations outside of the major metro areas. Um, so that's something that I'm really excited about. I think being able to build up more of that support for provisionals and for early career psychs in those areas is going to be an absolute boon for our profession. I agree because, and I'm sure AAPI is aware of this as well, but regional and rural psychs would face unique issues that psychs in metro areas wouldn't face. And they work with unique populations who have their own unique difficulties that they face. And so this is really exciting that we can actually provide those support to psychologists in those regional rural areas. And one of the other things that we're hoping to continue working on, we should be working on this I think or we are working on this at the moment is really coming up with more of a um, nuanced database of supervisors so that provisionals or early career psychs can actually match with a supervisor who they feel like they can click with. Um, it really ends up being quite a kind of hit and miss experience a lot of the time with a supervisor getting a new supervisor. So trying to streamline that process a little bit, I think is going to make that a lot easier for early career psychs. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's very difficult to find the right supervisor. And we just don't know what norms look like with supervisors as well. We don't actually, and we're not taught like what supervision is supposed to look like. There is that trust, I guess, like the same with like a client psychologist relationship. And so oftentimes perhaps we might be in situations that are not appropriate, but we have no idea. And hopefully streamlining this process will actually help a bit more. I hope so. I think that there is so much scope, again, to foster that sense of diversity in the profession by really digging into experienced supervisors' knowledge bases. And if we, for instance, in your course of sexology, this is going to be something that's going to be, um, you know, do I find, how do I find a supervisor that has that as a niche area of interest so that I can get appropriate supervision when I start working with those clients? This is going to be a much easier way of being able to do that. Literally, I'm doing that currently, trying to find a supervisor in sexology. And yes, it has proven very difficult. It's like contacting three people. Have they got this? Have they got that? Do they have the right availability? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of Medicare rebates for provisional psychs. Why on earth would we want this? I'm being, you know, devil's advocate, but you know, why? Our stance at the AAPI is that Provisional psychologists are right at the end of their training, doing their placements. They are already, a lot of them, working in either private practice settings or community mental health settings, and they're currently, unfortunately, being underutilized. So a lot of the organizations, particularly small private practices, we're not able to employ provisional psychologists um, in Um, sustainable ways unless we get really good funding for them. So at the moment, provisional psychologists that I'm aware of, if they are working in and employed by private practices, are having to basically be seeing clients for a smaller private fee. Um, And so that private fee being paid completely out of pocket by the client then goes to contribute to that provisional's salary. If we had a Medicare rebate for provisional psychologists, 
I think it would open up so many more employment opportunities for them. And now I think that we have about 7,000 provisional psychologists who are ready to go. They are already in workforce. They are already seeing clients. This would just be another way of sustaining their employment in whatever services they're already working in. And what it would also do is be able to open up more opportunities for them to be helping the populations that they're already helping. Again, like, I think that'd be so helpful. And I'm sure my experience isn't uncommon. When I was looking for internships, because I did the five plus one pathways, I needed to find a plus one internship. Yep. I must have emailed 50 places. It must have done like 50 cold phone calls sort of thing. Nothing, nowhere. Could only get this employment position in, you know, you just take whatever you can get. And it opens us up to exploitation. It but it also means that it's indicative that there's just not the financial capacity for private practices to actually take on provisional sites. Like you say, we're raring to go, but yes. we just have nowhere to actually take us. Agreed. And I think that there's this awful legacy of intern psychologists and provisional psychologists being exploited, being in internships and placements that are unpaid for up to two years. Yeah. Um, and that is, it's not sustainable for the individual psychologist. It is not sustainable for our profession. And the common argument that I hear against that is this is the way that it's always been. And unfortunately, that is just not a good enough argument. Now we can look back and go, you know what? It shouldn't have been like that. Maybe if we're able to change the systems in order to make it better for the next generation of healthcare workers and psychologists in our profession, if we can make it better for them, why shouldn't we? Just because we went through the shitty unpaid internships, and we weren't able to advocate for anything different for ourselves. Now that, you know, for instance, I'm a private practice owner, I would love to employ a provisional to come in and be able to offer them a sustainable salary and a Medicare rebate for their services would 100% help with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it'd be really amazing because, yeah, with the unpaid internships, it's I don't even know how you guys did it like in the previous generation because it's like it just wouldn't be feasible. It's like I literally wouldn't be able to pay my rent like no. if I wasn't being paid during my internship. That's right. I just And it just devalues our work as well. It's like it does. our work is work. And I think also for me this is a larger systemic issue to do with psychology anyway, which is if you are in a position to take an unpaid internship, you might be living at home or you might be not paying rent or you might not be having any dependents or children that you might be looking after. And so you might already be in this really privileged position to then go, you know what, I'm going to accept that unpaid internship. But what that does is it narrows who is actually getting into the profession. Exactly. It excludes people who are renting or who have kids or who have other commitments or whatever it might be. And that I think is so problematic in any kind of helping profession if we're not acknowledging that there are systems that privilege some people over others. And again, it, it disservices our clients because that means they're only getting one type of psychologist and that's the type of psychologist who had a particular set of circumstances that enabled them to take on this study in an unpaid internship. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm, makes me feel angry. 
makes me feel angry. Yeah. Um, and I think that we are, you know, as an early career psychologist, I mean, I was pretty bolshy when I was an intern and I was able to advocate for turning my unpaid internship into a salaried position. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. But not many of my colleagues were able to do so. Um, And so it really is about, you know, when we feel as though I don't have any power, I don't feel like I can change anything. This is just something that I have to kind of accept and get through. We're not necessarily going to feel as though we can advocate for a livable wage. Yeah. I guess we're kind of coming to the end then. Like if if people listening know and feel this angry feeling as well, what can they do, Sarah, to actually get involved in advocating around these issues in our profession? As I said, I'm part of the AAPI. I would 100% recommend that you join. So we have really reasonable membership fees and it's based on how much you work. So it's not based on, you know, you're a particular type of psychologist. So if we are working full-time, there is a full-time membership fee of $300 per year. If you work part-time, so that's, I think, three days or less a week as a psychologist, it's $150 per year. And if you're a student or a provisional, then you can join for, I think it's 50 bucks. And all of it's obviously a tax write-off. So join the AAPI, contribute to membership. This is about putting our money behind an organization that is going to make real and sustainable changes to the profession. And we are advocating our butts off to try to get some good things happening for not just what's happening at the moment, but for the future generations of psychologists. I think that's awesome. And yeah, just to uh, tell listeners, I am an AAPI member. I guess like maybe maybe this is a generational thing. It might be a personality thing, but I just wanted stronger voices around issues in the profession and more broadly. So I think with the other organization, um, this was around the marriage equality referendum. What was it? Was it a referendum? No, it's a plebiscite. That's the word. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot the word. Around that time, I was just like waiting for like a release. And I was like, okay, where's this email going to be? Like, we support this. Like, we support love is love. And I really wanted strong, strong voice around that. And I remember feeling the same around climate change and climate action. I was like sitting there waiting for this email from my professional organization being like, yeah, we, we support this. And I just got nothing. And I just felt like they were not actually supporting me as a psychologist, but also supporting and really taking a strong stance on issues that are happening globally that are affecting the mental well-being of everyone. Agreed. And I think one of our points of difference, one of the things that is really important to AAPI is we're member-led, which means that anyone who is a member, if there are issues that are important to you, they're probably important to a whole bunch of other members. So if you raise your voice, if you talk to people around you, if you contribute to some of the discussions within the AAPI, then we are going to support you and advocate with you and alongside you for those issues. So that's something that we we feel very, very strongly about. And I think also just on that point of talking to people is, again, we're such an isolated profession. We, We tend to work solo. So being able to have really good conversations with other psychs and other mental health workers around you If you're able to talk to them about some of these issues that concern not just you, but anyone working in the mental health space, they're probably going to 
get angry too and hopefully do something about it. I hope so. Yeah. It's, uh, I still feel like we need change. I went to like a PD day a few weeks ago and the poor person I was talking to about these issues, I think they looked more scared uh, than angry. And I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> this is a really intense conversation. Sorry to bring this up so soon. Um, but I think they were just a little frightened of, and I, and I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it was more like we could just talk about these things. But Agreed. You know, yeah, but- Agreed. A lot of people tend to want to stay apolitical. And yeah. unfortunately, what that means is they either feel like it doesn't affect them or maybe it feels like they can't do anything about it and they're feeling hopeless and helpless. And that's, again, what AAPI is wanting to change. Exactly. And that's the kind of feeling I have. I'm like, okay, no, I feel hopeful. Yeah, like it feels like we've got something good going here. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on again to the podcast to talk about these things with us, these real issues that actually affect our work and, and our career and how we're actually going to stay in this profession if we want to. So I really appreciate it. Is there any other takeaway that you want to leave listeners with? You know that saying of if you're not angry, you're not paying attention? Mm. I think that that's an important point to end on. We need to be broadening our view and paying attention to what's actually happening in our profession, within our profession, and to our profession by some of the systems around it. So I think one of the things I'd like to leave your listeners with is pay attention to the bigger picture. Solid. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Ronald. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay. Thanks, listeners. Have a good one and catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career mental health professionals. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press subscribe on your podcast listening app. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous ones, leave us a rating or review on iTunes and Spotify. What topics would you enjoy hearing us talk about on the show? We'd love to hear from you. Email us your suggestions at mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good one and see you next time.